Let's pray together. Lord, we come together today as people who have been redeemed by Jesus Christ. For your wounds have paid the ransom, the cost that was due to us for our sin and rebellion against you. And yet you in your goodness and because of your grace have lifted us, have enabled us to have a new relationship with you, have lifted from us the burden of sin and the judgment of death. And so, God, we come together today as your people to worship you as a holy God, as a glorious God, as a gracious God. And in the midst of our light and momentary troubles, we want to acknowledge with thankful hearts who you are and what you have been doing amongst us in this season. And across the world, you are active and you are indeed the active God. And so today we give you praise. We lift your name, Lord Jesus, as the one who is alone worthy of praise. We proclaim your name here at Wodonga and District Baptist Church and everywhere where your people gather today that Jesus is Lord. We thank you that we can celebrate on this special day as we acknowledge Father's Day and give you thanks again for being with us wherever we might be today and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome once again. Thank you, Matt and Sahara, for leading us and Doug and Phil, who are still up the back there doing uh, the sound for us. Uh, what a great team we have and what a shame we can't invite you into this space. Uh, it's uh, just an ongoing... I guess we could say an ongoing heaviness that we have to live with and some frustration that we have that um, things are so, uh, so difficult just at the moment. And yet there is much for us to be thankful for. We are thankful, uh, those of us here, that we can actually bring you this service on Father's Day. And no matter what you're doing today, whether you're able to be with your father, or in many cases you're not able to be today for various reasons, uh, we just want to acknowledge God's goodness to us as he is indeed a good, good father. Typically, we'd have quite a number of announcements to make, things that are going on in the life of the church. But of course, at the moment, um, we're very much um, in a state of, um, I was going to say suspended animation. There's nothing animated about this suspense. It's just an ongoing drag, really. Uh, but we will look forward to see what happens. Um, we're pretty confident as soon as we start planning too much, uh, you know, a week or two or three ahead, it'll all change again. And so perhaps, um, Matt, we might plan for the next couple of weeks for, 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 for these services and suddenly we'll be able to regather. Uh, who knows? Of course, um, COVID's interrupted lots and lots of stuff. And um, I was thinking about this today because quite a few years ago, um, one of the ways that I used to make a bit of pocket money was to do some goal umpiring. I think I might have told this story to some people. And uh, it meant travelling all around Melbourne on a Saturday afternoon uh, with the white coat in those days and the white hat and the white flags. And we were paid reasonably well. It was quite good money uh, for doing that. It was enough for me to put fuel in the car and um, buy a few things, you know, when I was at Teachers College back in those days. And typically my dad would come with me to those games. We would um, get to wherever the game happened to be and he would generally either um, stand behind the goals um, or were typically behind the goals where I was and then each time we swapped, he'd swap uh, and enjoy the game. And they were really good games of football. On one occasion, there was a game that was towards the end of the season, very much around this time of the year, leading into the finals. Uh, 
Um, it was a reasonably good, good, uh, good weather. The ground was nice and hard, and it was the last home and away game of the season. It was a game between two local teams in Melbourne, so intense rivalry. And it was also a game that would determine which one of those two teams would actually make the cut to get into the finals. The final fourth position was available. Whoever won that game would get that position. And so you can imagine with the hometown rivalry, kind of like the, the Adelaide rivalry or the Perth rivalry, you know, that kind of stuff, with that rivalry and with, with so much at stake, it was a cracker of a game, deeply steeped in emotion and energy. And, and it was, in a sense, a great game to be part of. And, and truly, it was a good game to be part of because there was an electricity in the, in the whole atmosphere. And through the whole game, there was only a couple of points in it. It was kick for kick, goal for goal, point for point. And everything came right down to the last, the very last minute. And it was in the 30th minute of the last quarter that uh, one of the teams was behind. They took possession of the ball. Um, Dad, mind you, he was standing behind the goals. I was in the goals. The ball was coming in our direction. A player got the ball and, and took hold of it somewhere near the centre, ran his full measure and the, then launched this enormous punt kick. Uh, and with the aid of a bit of a tailwind, it sailed up into the air. And just as it was in mid-flight, the siren went. And it, so it continued on its trajectory over my head and uh, the field umpire signalled all clear, blew his whistle to end the game, I signalled the goal and pandemonium broke out. Because on the one hand, you, you had the team who just kicked the goal and it was a legitimate goal because as the rule book states, and I'd read the rule book, um, the game doesn't finish until the senior or the middle umpire, uh, the field umpire uh, blows his whistle. And it's not the siren that ends the game, it's when the whistle blows. And because the ball was in flight uh, at the time that the siren went and the signal had been given, it was a legitimate goal. So the, the team that won, won it on that kick. And they were celebrating with jubilation. The team that lost, oh my goodness, the tragedy, losing in that sort of a manner. Who do they take their anger out on? Well, the goal umpire, who else? And so in that moment, I had gathered around me this great cacophony of screaming Neanderthal. Oh, not, I shouldn't say that about football players. Screaming men uh, who, who realised the, uh, the astounding and uh, terrible loss that they had just experienced. In fact, one of them went so far as to actually grab me by the collar, the lapels of my jacket, which was a reportable offence. And I wasn't that interested in reporting him just in that moment. I was a little more interested in self-preservation. But what I didn't know was that my father, who had been standing up the back on the, uh, the mound there in Glen Waverley, had seen what was happening and he was down that mound, he was over the fence and he was on his way uh, to protect his son in the midst of this um, melee that was taking place. Well, fortunately, the uh, field umpire and other umpires had come in, at which point things kind of calmed down and uh, we were able to be escorted off the ground. I think Dad actually provided us with a bit of an escort in that particular time. But it just goes to show you, doesn't it, how far a father in his finest moment will do will go to protect his child. And I think probably any of us, many of us, most of us who have been fathers would be able to express that kind of sense of protectiveness and desire to look after our offspring. 
Well, it is Father's Day, and um, Father's Day it can be, on occasions, a tricky day to kind of know what to do with in the life of the church. First of all, um, because of the commercialism that has become associated with both Father's Day and Mother's Day. And yet I noticed this year that the commercial, or at least the advertising around Father's Day has been much more circumspect than usual. And I suspect that is because uh, we just can't go shopping in the manner that we have been accustomed to. And so why spend your advertising budget on something that you can't do? I don't know that I've even seen click and collect from Repco or super cheap auto, maybe there's been a few of those ads, but nothing like normal. One of the other um, reasons I'm always a little bit cautious about knowing what to do on Father's Day is because there are inevitably people in a congregation who have lost their fathers, and uh, in some cases, children whose fathers have died prematurely. I remember some uh, that uh, our children grew up with whose dad had died from cancer when they were quite young, and it's quite challenging uh, growing up in that space and others, of course, who in the past 12 months and perhaps even recently have mourned the loss of a father. In our day too, of course, lots of people in our community grow up in a, in a house or in a context without a father because of marriage breakdown or perhaps um, because there has been a father who is a father by biology but certainly not by commitment who skipped town. And then, of course, there are those, and we know this is true in our midst, those whose experience of a father has been quite abusive. And so the thoughts or the reflections that are evoked on Father's Day can be quite painful. Painful if you've had a father who has abused that role and overstepped that role in a terrible way. In fact, I think it's very true to say that the consequences of a father who fails in that respect uh, is like a tsunami that rolls through generations. It doesn't just stop. It can continue unless there is a significant intervention. So what do we do? What do we say, we who are part of the kingdom of God, on a day like this when even those who are listening in today, there will be amongst those people who, um, who find this whole idea of Father's Day something almost obnoxious or uh, really difficult. What do we say, for instance, to victims of sexual abuse who suffered at the hands of their fathers or another trusted man in their lives? Is there any way of bringing redemption or healing to these situations? Uh, who, to those who grieve or resent this kind of a day. And one of the things that we do need to keep in mind is that for children in particular, the images that they have of God are significantly determined by their understanding of their father. As we project our thinking to, to God, you know, we understand uh, something about God by the way our father acts or our parents more broadly act or speak or behave. And that can mean very different things to very different people. So today, let me bring a word of encouragement in this space, both for those who might have some very happy memories, and so today we'll celebrate, and for those who might find this a difficult day. One of the things that we ought to do in this space is focus our attention squarely on what God ordained for fathers. 
the scripture is full of examples of good fathers and bad fathers and I've said this on many occasions and I'll keep on saying it one of the reasons that I find the word of God so trustworthy is that it doesn't fudge it doesn't lie it doesn't pretend to be anything other than telling the truth and so across the pages of the scriptures we find some very good examples of fathers fathers who stepped up to the mark fathers who were leaders in their families fathers who provided good role models for their children we find some very poor examples and we can learn from both in passages like Ephesians that we'll find there that Paul wrote God gave fathers some very big responsibilities for leading their families and raising their children in cooperation with um, a mother and when God's plan is followed when fathers are able to step into what God has ordained for them then there is life and there is joy in that family and if you as a father listening in today have even been able to only partly fulfill the lofty call of God upon your life then Father's Day is worth celebrating and if your father was a godly man who, uh, who did the very best that he could before God, notwithstanding that we're all fallen, that we all make mistakes, that we all uh, fall over sometimes, uh, if you've got a father like that, then today is well worth acknowledging and giving thanks to God for. But if your experience wasn't so positive, if your father was not anything like the father God intended for whatever reason, then one of the things that we as a church community ought to be able to say is we stand with you because God created us to be part of a much bigger family and in some senses to plug the gaps where there are gaps. And so I've actually seen this work out in practice. Men who have stepped into a father role for young people when they haven't had a father for whatever reason. Men, godly men who could see the need that there was for uh, a good role model, a good male role model who stepped into that place appropriately and so provided that. And maybe that is something some of us, some of you might want to consider uh, God's call uh, leading you to do. Maybe you've had the opportunity to stand up for someone else in the context of a function or in offering to help. And at Psalm 68 verse 5, the psalmist says, God is a father to the fatherless. God steps in uh, and does that by bringing agents into that space, other Christians into that role to be a father when there is no father. The word that I want to most bring today, though, relates to those who ex have experienced an earthly father who has left a nasty taste in their mouths, or perhaps of, uh, even those who would say their experience of, of their father has been, well, benign is not the word I'm looking for, perhaps neither positive nor negative. What do we say about that in the church? What do we say about the language that we use in the church? And at the start of the service, Matt talks about, talked about God uh, being identified as a father. And that's very true throughout the scriptures. Should we follow the trends and change the language of the scripture and try and blur the masculinity, femininity kind of definition, uh, the definitions of God? That would require, I think, a fairly substantial abuse of the text and actually the loss of something really significant in understanding who God is. Because the reality is, throughout the scripture, God is often spoken of as a father. It's a word that's actually designed by God to communicate some special attributes. 
and some important attributes. If we lose that word, then we lose those, uh, that understanding. What we need to do instead of throwing the word out because it's become soiled is do something that God is really good at doing, that is redeem that word. And just as we shouldn't judge the quality of a composer by the ability of the orchestra, neither should we judge God by uh, the poor reflections of what fathers ought to be. I know that I will do the best that I can to be a good father to my children. I'll not come close to being the sort of father God is. Um, but my children shouldn't judge God on the basis of me. What sort of father is God? That's an interesting question. Well, there's lots of images of God the Father spread throughout the scriptures. Let's drill into a couple of those just to be encouraged. We find a description uh, really early in the scripture as the people of Israel gathered in anticipation of crossing the Jordan into the promised land. We preached on these uh, passages a couple of years ago. Uh, Moses spoke to them about the Lord and recounted to them the journey of the history uh, coming out of Egypt uh, through the wilderness. And he said to the people, there you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached that place. What a great image that is. God the Father carried his people as a father carries his son uh, all the way until you reach that place. I remember when uh, our youngest daughter was a very small girl, I was walking around uh, the place we were living one day carrying her and I was greeted by a friend who, who had three girls, all teenagers. And this guy said to me, oh gosh, I so wish I could carry my girls still. They're all too big. And I looked at him at the time. I'd been carrying Laura for quite some time. And I thought to myself, you must be crazy. You serious? This girl weighs a ton. That's breaking my arm. I'm sure. I can't. I wish she could walk. And then uh, there came a time when she could walk, and she didn't want to be carried anymore. And I kind of miss it. There are several reasons why we carry children. Sometimes, <laughs> and um, we're getting some practice with grandchildren now, sometimes they're dawdling along and you're thinking, come on, you know, let me just carry you, we'll get there quicker. There are other times we carry them because they get tired and their little feet just can't keep up with, uh, with the pace that we need to do or want to do. At other times, they just start to get weary and they need a rest. And in the same way, sometimes in life, we are weary and God picks us up and like a father, he carries us. And now that my children are older and we are back to that sort of stage again as life goes around, I understand much better now what my friend was talking about and why it was he was a bit jealous. Sometimes it's nice to carry them just for the joy of being close. And I wonder whether that isn't God's experience too. Does God carry us not only to help us, but for the joy of being close to us as well? Psalm 68 verse 5 that I've mentioned already reminds us that God is the father to the fatherless, the defender of the widows. It's a beautiful image of God who is concerned to protect the most vulnerable, who will use his character, his power, his strength to protect those who are at most risk. One of the things 
in fact, one of the really helpful things that I think we are able to do in this place when, when talking with people who have had a difficult experience of a father because of abuse and who ask really que hard questions, where was God? You know, why didn't God stop this? Why didn't God intervene? Is to actually say, you know, God was there. God felt that pain. God, uh, to use the language we've used over these last couple of weeks, God lamented in that space just as you do. God knows the damage that took place because he was there journeying with you and he's longing to bring healing and restoration in that space and he can do it and he can do it in a way that's more complete than anyone else because he knows the depths of it. God is the one who's able to protect, to redeem and bring to life those who are at most risk. We find another image of God in Psalm 103 verse 13. It speaks about the compassion of God. Now compassion is something that my children might say um, their dad doesn't have stacks of. Like, you know, um, you fell down, oh don't worry, get up, you'll be okay. I um, remember plenty of stories. I'm not going to tell them here this morning because it would all be um, stories against myself. But, you know, my kids would say, oh, you remember that time I did this and you just laughed? Well, yes, there's probably some truth in that. And uh, it, it's probably a family of origin thing. My, I've told you this. Um, my mother sent my brother to school for about two or three days with a broken arm one time. Um, to be fair, he probably wasn't complaining that much about it, but it was actually broken. Compassion. That's not a word we hear a lot nowadays. It's often kind of thought of as, as weakness or uh, something undervalued in this dog-eat-dog -dog world. You know, if you've got compassion for someone, then you're going to get run over. But God is characterized by compassion. It's part of his nature. This passage, Psalm 103, verse 13, uh, speaking about compassion, um, is written in a context of saying, here's God who doesn't treat us like we should deserve. He doesn't treat us as our rebellion deserves, but has compassion for us. There's plenty of other examples that we could um, plunder through the scriptures of the Father nature of God. But the supreme example to us, of course, is in the life of Jesus. And it's worth turning to that to think about this topic. Because Jesus once said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. We understand that's actually a Trinitarian statement. That's a statement that, uh, that Jesus makes claiming to have the full authority of God. In fact, you look at Jesus, you're seeing God because they are one and the same in that understanding. So if we talk about the Father heart of God, it's good for us to see what has been revealed through Jesus the Son. And so the question is, what did people see when they saw the revelation of God the Father in Jesus God's Son? Well, they saw lots of things. They saw one who brought healing. A significant element of Jesus' ministry that we have recorded, at least, is his ministry of healing, bringing healing to people. Physical healing, often, uh, but God the Father is one, and through Jesus brought more than just physical healing, but healing emotionally and mentally and spiritually. And when people watched Jesus healing, they saw him bring healing in relationship. Uh, 
And in fact, if we look at the whole scope of the scripture, let me just diverge here for three seconds. We see God constantly at work bringing healing, seeking to bring healing in relationship. Take the story of Joseph and his brothers, for instance. It's not just a story about God who elevated Joseph to a wonderful place of authority in Egypt and so was able to feed the family through that famine. It's actually, if you read it through Middle Eastern eyes, it's a story about healing of relationships in that family. Hurts from the past, things which hinder growth. God is in the business of bringing healing in that place and Jesus demonstrated that in his life. They looked at Jesus and saw one who brought deliverance. You know, Jesus had power over the demons, over the gods of this world. A reminder that God the Father has destroyed the enemy who would seek to steal and corrupt. They saw one in Jesus who was prepared to hang around with the outcasts, with the tax collectors, with the lepers, with the prostitutes, with the children. People who, who were judged by everybody else. And it's a reminder to us that God the Father doesn't play favourites, doesn't judge us on our background or our education or our history. He simply opens his arms and says, I love you and I want you to be part of my family. They saw in Jesus one who demonstrated an enormous respect for women. It's a really big thing in our media nowadays, that tag uh, respect women, very important. Um, Jesus acted in a manner that was so countercultural that it was astonishing in the manner that he, uh, he raised the standard and the profile and the place of women in ministry. And so uh, all of these things that are going on in our world, now there's nothing new about those and unfortunately most of them will fail because they're not grounded in anything other than some kind of uh, loose mor moral um, code. But if they're grounded in the things of God, they're going to get traction. And Jesus actually gives us an example of what it means to respect and honour women in our lives and our community. They saw one in Jesus who was moved with compassion and who could appropriately express emotion. It wasn't that many years ago that many boys were told by their fathers, you know, big boys don't cry. And fathers certainly didn't cry. That showing emotion of any, any kind was a sign of weakness, but not so if you look at the example of Jesus. For there at the tomb of Lazarus, he wept. And no doubt there were other times where he cried tears of anguish and tears of frustration as he experienced the full gamut of emotion in his humanity and demonstrated that even in that there was something good. They saw something in Jesus. Uh, they saw Jesus as one who never sought the glory for himself. He didn't have to be the focus of attention. He didn't do stuff to make himself popular. In fact, he did things quite the opposite. Uh, he made himself quite unpopular. But he was someone who was comfortable in his own skin. And perhaps there's something, fathers, we can learn from that place too. Because sadly, too often, uh, I and perhaps you too have seen men, fathers who've had to be number one, have had to rule and lord it over those in their family or in whatever the context might be, to be the one that gains all the attention, to have the focus, the spotlight, if you like. But Jesus wasn't like that, never sought glory for himself. He deflected that to God as his father. And they saw in Jesus someone who needed a relationship with his heavenly father to provide strength and energy and power that he needed for the task that he'd been called to. 
And here too is a lesson for us. If we're going to be the kind of fathers that God wants us to be, if fathers more generally are going to be the kind of fathers that um, God has designed us to be, we need to be anchored in the things of God and draw our strength from him, not from books on our shelves or podcasts that we might listen to, helpful that some of those things may be, but draw from that deep well of relationship, the strength and energy that we need to be all that God has called us to be. So today, let me encourage you to recast your view of fatherhood, particularly if it's been damaging, uh, damaged, focusing on the model of God as father. And if you're a father, let me encourage you today to model yourself on God, to follow in the footsteps of Jesus, to be what God wants you to be. And I think if enough of us could grasp this truth, this pure fatherhood of God in our lives, then Father's Day would surely be something worth celebrating. And we wouldn't have to worry about buying things for Dad to show, show our appreciation. Our love would be enough. And to be able to express that will be sufficient. Let's take a moment to pray and just acknowledge that we're all in different places in this journey. And then we'll invite Matt and Sahara back to lead us. Lord, we want to thank you again, good God, that you are indeed the, uh, the Father that we can look to, the Father who has demonstrated by your life what a Father is meant to be like. And in our fallenness, God, we fail in that space so very, very often. We're so mindful that um, we are fragile and broken and uh, our world contributes to that the sin that we are so familiar with <clears throat> manifests itself in other ways in our community that are so distressing and has brought so much pain, hurt and damage for people. Lord, we thank you that you are in the business of redemption, that nothing is too hard for you and that as you bring healing, oftentimes it will come just one thing at a time in the perfect order that you know is necessary to the degree which we can cope with in a way that will bring a new life. And so we pray for that. Lord, we give thanks today with those who can celebrate today as a day when they can be uh, with their fathers or can honour their fathers, can um, give you glory for the way they have been fathers. Lord, we give thanks today with those who perhaps remember their fathers now are gone, but do so with happy memories. And we stand with those in our congregation, in our community, whose life has perhaps not been filled with the same joy and sense of security and protection and care that fathers ought to afford. Lord, we give thanks with those who give thanks and we mourn with those who mourn. But it is to you today we look, good God, our Heavenly Father, the one who is good to the core, the one whose character is goodness, who is compassionate, who is the perfect father. And we give you thanks for who you are. And that despite the brokenness of our world, you're not broken. Despite the pain that there is around us, you don't bring pain. You bring life and healing and love. And so we invite you by your spirit to infill us with that today and pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.